world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. Hey everybody, welcome to review to Superhuman Registration Podcast, or as Aldo likes to call it, the Hamilcast. Uh, there's got to be a Hamilcast out there already. There's oh, several. absolutely. I'm looking it up. <laughs> there's got to be a Hamilcast. Tonight we're going to talk about uh, John Lawrence's superpowers. The Hamilcast, the Hamilton Podcast. Definitely yep, it is. Uh, John Lawrence is actually super interesting. I actually did pitch a 3000 All Black Battalion to Congress multiple occasions was shot down uh every single time and uh, one of those cases took the slaves he was set to inherit and ing- integrated them into his battalion nice john lawrence is the man to be two pints of sam adams <laughs> but i'm working on three i think the main takeaway that i have from hamilton i mean hamilton not a good work of historical accuracy but it does pique interest in history in a way that, uh, you know, AP American history never did when I was in high school. Yeah. Right. So it's like, I want to read about some of these figures. I want to learn more about the founding of this country, as messed up as it is. All I'm going to say is you should watch Hamilton like I do. And on your second viewing, just have Wikipedia open and be ready to pause every five minutes. <laughs> Not a bad idea. Actually, I think I think the first time you watch it should absolutely be worth, like, for entertainment value. But oh, yeah. sub- subsequent viewings, if you don't open a single wiki article, uh, no, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I've definitely been reading just tons of think pieces on Hamilton nowadays. So does Teddy Roosevelt get to stay on Mount Rushmore? Or is there stuff? <laughs> I mean, Roosevelt will just be Mount Rushmore. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm okay. Like him and Lincoln... I mean, you dig, you dig enough, and there's going to be like problems, right? But like, uh, we need to we need to talk about comic books because I actually have a rant about Lincoln that I have been suppressing, and I'm not about to let it out <laughs> in a recording. Oh um, no! <laughs> so, welcome to the Superhuman Registration Podcast, where we read and rank comic books and nothing else. <laughs> Definitely not presidents of the United States. Uh. We have been, uh, you know, coming off of a holiday weekend where we celebrated the 4th of July with the billions and billions and billions of fireworks that everybody spent their vacation money on. I don't know if what you got up there, Aldo, but down here, yikes, there were fireworks going off, like, forever. Well, I love fireworks. Love them. Love to set them off. Love to watch them. They're great. Except this year, when... I was trying to enjoy my July 4th tradition of uh, watching Jaws like a good American. And <laughs> all of my idiot neighbors decided to take all of the, like all of the, they had, how many, how many fireworks did they have? They had all of them literally outside my window in the parking lot, setting them off. And it was yep. like, it was forever. Like you said, it, so that was the same thing at your house, Steven. Firework sales were apparently up by like a crazy percentage this year. Huh. <sighs> Can't imagine why. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, at least where I'm at, uh, city of Portland, for now, 
Um, there wasn't a whole lot out here as far as like a major fireworks show. Oregon's pretty big and pretty divided, so I wouldn't be surprised if like some of the more rural areas. I was gonna say uh, Eastern Oregon probably went nuts, but yeah, probably did. Bend, Oregon, probably went bananas. Um, probably I don't know. Portland itself, the city, is pretty left leaning. It's like a little left leaning oasis. No, in a big Portland? red state. Yeah, Portland, Oregon, right? Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's left leaning. Yeah. You've got. This has got to be sarcasm. This is, is the, a bit. Is the. <laughs> thanks, Stephen. Hey, hey, you know, thanks. Thanks. Hey. I didn't pick up on it. Absolutely. Next time, I'll Anyways. let the air out of your balloon. Thanks a lot. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah. So, but also, Portland also doesn't have like central air. Uh, in most of its in most of the houses so like our house doesn't so we keep the windows open uh 20 24 7 and so there weren't a whole lot of fireworks but the ones my neighbors were firing well boy that was more than enough so comics are, <laughs> yeah uh let's let's talk about them uh so we didn't we didn't intend this but we definitely have a kieran gillen double feature today yeah, that was uh, accidental, yeah. <laughs> that was completely accidental. Um, but yeah, this will be fun. I'm looking forward to it. You know what my complaint is about when we have uh, double on artists or, or writers? Is uh, I don't, at least on the website, the way I've set it up, we don't get to tag them twice. So they don't show up as big on the word bubble as I'd like them to. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a minor complaint from the guy who cares, but. <laughs> anyways, anyways from the guy who cares all right do we want to start with with angela or with star wars i'm good either way okay in that case you can go first john hey so we read the 20 let's see 16 Thank 2016 you. 20 i was like i know the character came out in 2015 the 2016 um dr afra series the first six issues uh dr afra was introduced in the comics the first character to have her own series from star wars that wasn't previously on screen um we read was she in vader down if we i know we've read i've read her before yes. but i can't remember if that was okay yeah so, she was in vader down which is the only comic of hers that i've read or the yeah, only same. comic appearance of hers that i've read prior to this I think. I think she only shows up a little bit too in that right yeah i remember the murder bots though Vader is not going to be like monologuing to himself, you know, and so you have to have some dialogue and some levity, and that's what she provides. I feel like Anakin is absolutely a drama queen and would monologue to himself. <laughs> but James Earl Jones is not. So. <laughs> um, Doctor Afra, for anyone not familiar with the title, here's the pitch. So you like Indiana Jones? Of course you do. You like Han Solo? Of course you do. Maybe you don't necessarily like Harrison Ford, but you still like the other characters. Well, did you you ever think that like C-3PO and R2-D2 should have like straight up murdered people? And, and um, <laughs> is there not enough of that kind of shenanigans going on in Star Wars for you? You know, probably should make it a female character if we're going to have this character for Star Wars. It is a bit of a sausage fest in a galaxy far, far away. So we have Dr. Aphra, who is all of those things. She has murder bots for buddies. She has uh, a Wookiee companion. Is it uh, is it Chewbacca? No, no. It's um, I can't pronounce his name, so I'm going to call him Chewblacka because he has black. Oh hair. gosh. <laughs> 
Did we not just finish having a half hour discussion about <laughs> Hamilton and it representation, is, hey, sir? Hey, 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 he is a Wookiee with black fur. Any problems on Earth do not enter into this because this is a galaxy far, far away beyond such such problems. Okay. Okay. They are very far removed from what we're going through today. There are fascists running around and trying to oh, attack no. the little guy and trying to wait a minute. I don't. I don't like where this is going. Guys, I've stumbled upon some connections between the Star Wars <laughs> galaxy and our present climate. Anyway, Black Chrysanthemum. <laughs> Chrysanthemum. Yeah. See, his name is actually Black Chrysanthemum. See, there's too many R's in there for me to like know. Black Chrysanthemum. We had this. We did this bit during Vader Down. I don't remember. It definitely happened. I don't remember. I think you're making this up. Oh, goodness. Steven, I think you're just describing a dream that you had. I'm having a dream right now, and it's a dream where we actually stayed on topic for a little bit. Oh, you know that's (laughs) not going to happen. Dr. Afra, she is um, now trying to stay one step ahead of Vader, and also, um, you know, looking for treasures, looking for... Um, archaeological finds that can bring her more loot because she has debts to pay people after her Um, not Jabba the Hutt this isn't that kind of story it's different there are other guys after her this uh, guy who it turns out his big top hat is part of his head he's after her Um, Black Chrysanthemum is uh, sticking around and working as her muscle because she owes him money too and uh, she finds out that she's no longer officially a doctor when she goes back to her university and runs into her father, who is uh, on the lookout for some ancient artifacts, uh, ancient peoples that he's been studying and that drove a wedge in his family. Um, and so... To, he, to be uh, fair, I don't think she was ever officially a doctor either, but... I thought she, she was. cheated. That's how it she, happened. Well, she, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, she's not a good guy. That should be mentioned. So, Dr. Afra takes her father. He's looking for an order of not quite Jedis, or they were Jedis, but not Orthodox Jedis. Um, he is trying to um, find this uh, lost civilization. It takes them to Yavin uh, during the battle, like right after the Battle of Yavin. Um, the Imperials have come into the rebel base. They go into these temples that are there. And he um, finds... I want to get all the names of all these peoples right. So, Dr. Afro's father has been studying the Aspectu, the uh, Ordru Aspectu. I'm going to get the name right here. Yeah, it's like the Ordru Aspectu. Neither of them are real words, but they kind of want to be. (laughs) So, an ancient order of Jedi, not quite Jedi, a special branch of Jedi that were... Um, up against Orthodox Jedi, they find themselves on um, in an ancient temple uh, in the uh, one of the moons of Yavin. The Imperials are after them, and um, all of them make their way to uh, what's left of this ancient order. And their leader, who it turns out has immortalized himself by moving his sentience into a robot. That proceeds to attack all of them. Um, Afra's thing is that she's able to stay one step ahead of trouble, the trouble that she puts herself into, and escapes with the Imperials, leave, ditches the captain on a planet because she thinks that the captain uh, is cute, and <laughs> they uh, 
Um, she leaves on good terms with her father because turns out his crazy his crazy obsession turned out to be real, and she's able to pocket the priceless artifact that needed um, protecting that she said she you know kept safe. She was able to uh, keep that for herself and maybe turn it in for some loot. So we get this great. Um, Star Wars meets Indiana Jones type story, but everyone's a bad guy, uh, but you still root for them at the same time. So I uh, I know I've summarized it poorly, but I got to tell you, I loved this. I loved it, loved it, loved it. It was directly up my alley. Um, I like Afra because she's young, scrappy, and hungry. Yeah. yeah. She's not going to throw away her shot. She is not. Oh, goodness. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Oh, geez. Black Chrysanthemum, oh Black Chrysanthemum. I wanted to see more of that. That's one thing that like we could have had more of him. And I think we see him a little bit um, in Vader Down, but he takes on a whole ton of Imperials all by himself. It's like they unleashed uh, Chewbacca. And, like, what could a Wookiee do if he really wanted to make like make a big mess? And bra bra, he takes them all out. So bra bra, I Chrysanthemum. No, 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 no more <laughs> Hamilton references. Um. <laughs> I was, gonna say, I was I was a little disappointed when he uh, when he turned face and uh, just ditched her on the planet. Yeah, a little disappointed. I was like, how could you do well, this that, to me? And that I think that was a reminder. Like, remember, everyone in this story is a bad guy. Um, I like that we get a uh, scary C three PO who's, you know, trying to protect his master and will do whatever it takes to do that, including murdering fools. So, yeah, um, I did like that. That was cute. <laughs> cute. Cute murder. Um, I enjoy the art as the t- as the temple that they're in is coming apart, and walls are crumbling down, and they have to run for their lives. The paneling goes from normal uh, smooth lines to uh, it's it's everything is just a little off. It's not lined up right. Um, they're they're literally falling apart themselves. I thought that was a nice touch. Um, great art throughout. Um, great coloring as well. Uh, what did you guys think? Good. Okay, move, I, let's I, move on to the other story cool. now. The good comic job. I, I, let me see. i got to say at least one controversial thing because oh. this is Star Wars and I have controversial Star oh. Wars opinions. Okay. Uh, you mentioned that if you like Han Solo but for some reason don't like Harrison Ford, then this is probably a book for you. Did you know that you were kind of talking about me? Maybe subconsciously. No. <laughs> I, I just, thought you were. I, I thought like, you were absolutely. It is, it is like a. It hanging. is like a. You know, we we can have these two characters. It doesn't have to be Harrison Ford, even though he is both of them. That's where we get the female Doctor Afra. I don't know. Maybe I think that's what I was going to on the surface. But have we had a talk before where you're like oh, yes. he's grumbly and I don't like him? I don't. I don't know what it is. I am not the biggest fan of Harrison Ford's characters that he plays. Like. And I don't think it's anything to do with the actor, because I think Harrison Ford's a great actor. He is. Uh, I, I, I like Harrison Ford as an actor. I do not like Han Solo. Han Solo is my <gasps> least favorite character in Star Wars. I like Harrison Ford because he doesn't, he doesn't know anything about Star Wars. So when people go like, hey, who do you think would win in a fight between Han Solo and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, who cares? Kid. He's all right. <laughs> yeah. Who cares? <laughs> he's such a cranky old man. You really don't like Han Solo, Steven? Yeah, C-3PO is my least favorite character in Star Wars. Oh, thank uh, goodness. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought no, I was no. going to have to. I don't, I don't much care for Han Solo as a character, though. No. Um, I understand, like, we have to have talked about this. We talked about an episode one comic 
We did. Like, we talked okay. about this. Yeah, this definitely has to have come up. But, like, uh, a lot of the stuff that I don't like about Han Solo, I, like, uh, doesn't really apply to Aphra. And again, it has nothing to do with Harrison Ford. Um, I think some of it has to do with how rapey I find Han Solo. Um, yes. But, like, Aphra is kind of like Han Solo without all that baggage. Uh, she kind of reminds me of, again, it's another archetype that's basically the same character, Captain Mal from Firefly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, packaged together with Laura Croft and Indiana Jones and all of these other characters. Like, Aphra's fine. I think she's a pretty decent character just in her own right. I was almost kind of frustrated that this was a Star Wars story because it's like, because that brings with it all of the baggage of Star Wars, sure. which sometimes is bad, but in this case happens to be good because it lets us explore things like aspects of Star Wars mythology and history that didn't come up in the main series. And uh, at least I haven't come across it in the other Star Wars media that I've uh, consumed. So I really liked this book. I don't know if it's going to be like all time favorite or whatever, but I liked it a lot. Kevin Walker did the art. (laughs) (laughs) He did a good job. Just want to throw that out there. Oh yeah, we yeah (laughs) always need to be sure that we're we're crediting the creative team. Uh, Aldo, Uh, what what did you think about Doctor Afro? I like Kevin Walker's art. Um, (laughs) it was uh, uh, it was good. It was good. It felt like a very um like standard. Indiana Jones type story, lovable rogue. Uh, I don't, I don't know that I, I don't know. I think the problem for me was how predictable a lot of it felt. Um, it's because the story isn't necessarily trying to do anything new. It seems like. So if you've ever seen like a heist movie and you've ever watched an Indiana Jones movie, you just kind of know where this is all going. Uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think the real selling point here is like the characters. Yes. Um, but like I don't know, at least for me, after like the third issue, a lot of the charm kind of wears off. It's like, haha, murder bots. Haha, strongman Chewy. Haha, Dan Afro. Oh, so like I, I don't know. It's it's good, but I, I didn't like love it. I agree with you to a point. I do think the murder bots kind of outlive their welcome, especially. Uh, I think the relationship between Afra and her father, again, little cliche. Uh, I think it's rescued from its like from getting bogged down in the cliche by the fact that it's uh, a character who is decidedly amoral trying to discern whether this relationship is something she wants to preserve or not. Like, she's amoral, but she's not, you know, heartless. She's not evil. Yeah. Uh, She just is very much in it for herself and is is always trying to weigh what's best for her against, uh, you know, what other people want or need and... That tends to come up lacking, but here we have a character that she confronts that she actually has, like, personal history with and, uh, daddy issues. But, like, it works for me, <laughs> I think. I, I, think it, I think it's pretty solid. Again, I agree. It, it's not really anything that we haven't seen before, but I don't think that necessarily makes it bad. Yeah, 
that's what I was trying to get at. I, I don't know. I I think if you come in here just expecting like a fun story, I think you're absolutely in for, for a fun story. Um, I think if you're coming into this expecting something super interesting, I don't, I think you'll be a little disappointed. Yeah, I agree with both of you, but it's still good. So different. different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not arguing that. I'm not arguing that. Huh. Maybe it's just I I love heist movies. I love Indiana Jones and Star Wars, and so this was like here are all of the things you love in one package. Here you go. And yeah. so the fact that like I knew I knew exactly what I was getting, I didn't mind so much because it was, you know, just different enough, or or just it was yeah. well done enough that it worked. So I th- I think for me it's it's the I don't necessarily love like heist movies or like. Uh, you know, destructive archaeologist movies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, I'm not like su- a super huge fan, but like I don't hate those things either. I'm really indifferent to them. So that's kind of why I'm a little indifferent to this book. Uh, not because it's a bad book by any sense. It's it's a, it's a good book. Uh, I'm just I don't. It's not my things. When I read non or like what I like at least as far as non Jedi content is I love the stories. Or portrayals of like dogfights and like spaceships and stuff. Yeah, like that's that's my non Jedi uh, like attraction to Star Wars. So so when it's not that, I'm I'm already kind of a little tuned out. <laughs> I like starfighters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I don't, and I think I think Star Wars does have a tendency to get too lost in all of the Jedi stuff, right? Yeah, and even this book to some extent, it's like. Yeah, Doctor Afra is uh, concerned with like Jedi archaeology, and uh, that's and, and I think the fact that this is still like so tied up in the Star Wars canon is kind of a downside because this is basically Han Solo and the crew of the Millennium Falcon, but evil. It's like right? that, I, it's like that uh, Star Trek like alternate dimension where they're all evil and have mustaches. This is the evil yeah. mustache. Yeah. Version. Yeah. I, and I'm okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know that I, that I agree that this is too entrenched in star Wars. I think my problem is if you're going to lean into the, the Jedi stuff, I think I wish they would have leaned into it just a little bit more. Cause like we get some interesting tidbits about Orthodox Jedis, uh, the Ordo, Ordo Septum, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was definitely what it was. The Ordu Septum. Yeah. Uh, the Ordu Septum. Uh, <laughs> I think that's something you got to get checked, checked once you hit 50, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but like they discover like these old lightsabers and like, they just kind of get picked up and stowed away. They talk about these crystals and they just kind of get tossed around. And like a lot of the stuff isn't necessarily explored. And, and I think if you were going to lean into Jedi history, I wish they would have leaned into it just a little bit more and really kind of explored that. If if Afro like cared about that kind of thing, she was more like, now what kind of ancient loot can I take? And less about like, ooh, look at all this, you know, this, this ancient civilization. She's interested in it so far as there's, you know, some kind of artifact that'll Yeah, but 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 even even then with her character, you could still like I don't know, maybe explain a little bit about like why old old Jedi lightsabers are more more interesting than 
new Jedi lightsabers, apart from the fact that they look different. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I, th- I just think if you're going to dig into Jedi lore, uh, I kind of think you should. My Well, my personal opinion is you should commit to it a little bit more. I get hung up on the fact that these are all basically just evil duplicates of the main Star Wars cast. Like, it, it, I, and I think that was probably deliberate because, again, these characters all came from the Darth Vader series. Mm-hmm. So you have Darth Vader, who is the evil Luke Skywalker, and so you need an evil Han Solo, and you need an evil C-3PO, and an evil R2-D2, and an evil Chewbacca. Where's evil Leia, though? That's a very good question. Where is evil Leia is regular Leia, because she goes evil in that one Star Wars comic that we read. Oh, that was a a non-canon, Steven, and you know it. Well, what is canon? This is canon. Maybe the real canon was the friends we made along the way. Oh, I will slap you from here. (laughs) <laughs> i'm gonna be i'm gonna be within within smacking distance in a couple weeks Stephen. <laughs> as the kids are saying nowadays bring it <laughs> okay <laughs> all right kids uh yeah i don't know I think I, I don't know I, I i feel a little bad that i feel so indifferent to this book i wish i felt stronger about something in this book, uh, because I think I don't I don't think it's a bad book. I think if anybody wanted to like read a Star Wars book, I don't think this is a bad one to read. No, not it's, at all. It's just like it's very I, good. yeah. I think I think the only problem is like if somebody wanted to read this and they're like, does this have like stuff about the Jedi's? It's like uh, only a little bit. Oh, is this kind of like a Han Solo story? Yeah, a little bit. Does it have? The characters I know and love, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this is definitely for people who read the Darth Vader comic, liked the character, and then moved on to the character, which is a very small fan base, right? Yes, probably. Probably. Uh, it's again, I, I did enjoy the book quite a bit. I have, Same. I don't think I have any like significant grievances against I- it. I would read more like stylistic choices, which are, you know, in the grand scheme of things, very, you can ignore my opinions on aesthetics because I'm the person who, you know, writes bachelor fan fiction and watches my little pony (laughs) unironically. Like nobody cares about my taste, which is why I made a podcast. I'm not not a brony (laughs) or anything, but, uh, the little I've seen, it's pretty good. So, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the real not problem bad. is that let's come back around to the Bachelor fan fiction because like no, let's not. We spent way too much time on that last I'm week. I'm still reeling. Anyway, uh, yeah, John's recommendation, Doctor Afra, all the way. Everyone else is. Yeah, that's accurate. Um, I, I, I don't know. I would read more. Oh yeah, absolutely. Again, there's like this is this was fun. I like Kieran Gillen as a writer. Solid writer. Solid writer. Um, I really like the the art, uh, Kev Walker. I love the covers. Yeah, they are good. They are Very good. good They've got the, this like little uh, bit of an anime vibe to them, I think. Uh, Afra's character is a bit... not. <sighs> the word I want is not chibi-fied, because that's completely wrong. But she definitely has a lot of characteristics of like that sort of artwork. I was going to say, I thought they were... No, I guess they're not. I was going to say they felt a little bit Dotson-ish. 
Like at first glance, like like when I was looking at the cover, like gallery, some I guess of, you some, I I got a little Chris Bacallo vibe in some of them, kind of the way that the backgrounds, um, or like longer shots were done a little bit. I'd have to like do some side by side comparisons to show my work, but uh, you know, just a little bit of that. Oh, oh! I just I just looked up the cover artist. Uh, her name is Kamoma Shirahama. She actually does the manga uh, Witch Hat Atelier, which I've been reading. Is that really? Yeah, that's her. Oh. Witch Hat Atelier has a terrible title. <laughs> it's, it's pretty bad. Uh, it's really quite charming. It's, it's about a, a group of witches in training in a world where magic is done by, like, making very ornate drawings and they have to be very precise circular drawings. So it's a really, if you're one of those Brandon Sanderson magic I was going to say, geeks, it's Elantris or it's Doctor Strange, yeah. Yeah, like, it, it, it's got a very well-defined, very interesting magic system. Uh, the story's fine. For me, the main draw is the art. Uh, it's one of the best-looking manga I have read pretty much ever. I've been picking it up solely on the strength of the art and Kamoma Shirahama. There we go. Uh, I just want to point out completely unrelated to anything. Uh, James Tinian uh, read which had a tailor. He read it. Yeah, he read it. That's it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> why, <laughs> <It's nothing. laughs> why are we talking about James Tinian reading a manga on our Marvel comics? I don't know. Why are we talking about manga on our Marvel comics? <laughs> We always talk about manga on our Marvel. <laughs> At least it feels like that to me. The uh, I don't know what would you no, call, no. what would fans no call John me? okay John what we talk about anime. <laughs> okay, well, <clears throat> I don't know if I'm allowed to call myself Gaijin, but that's what I feel like. Uh, I mean, that's fair. You are. You probably. We, I mean, we all are. I mean, literally, I believe. Yes, Gaijin translates into foreigner. Oh, I thought it was like, I thought it was more like white boy or cracker. No, that's just the most common application is on them. I'm trying, but I just, oh. It's fine. It's it's fine. I like uh, the Star Wars manga we read. So. <laughs> that was actually really good. I really dug that. Um, do we have anything else to say about this book, though? Like, it's good. It's solid. I really dig the covers, and I'm glad I looked up the cover artist. I'm going to keep reading. It's only It only has 40 issues, and it might be done. I'm not sure. I think there's a second, a second, a second volume as well. Oh, yeah? Okay. I think so. When I was searching, like, I was looking up more stuff about Dr. Afra, just getting ready, and it, there, there, I, did, well, I needed to stop because there might have been spoilers, and I'm trying to forget about any little search, like, pre-populated, like, Dr. Afra blank, Dr. Afra blank. You know, I don't want to know anything else, so going to keep reading that. Yeah. But, yeah, do, if we don't have anything else about this, because, again, I, I, I think it's fine, so maybe we should just move on to Angela. Yeah. Angela. I'm pretty sure that was a song I could have used and I didn't. Um, Is that a song? I don't know. It's not. I'm I just, certain there's I just, a song out there. There's a song out there called Angela. I didn't know if you, it. If you have a woman's name in the in the however many years we've had a recording industry, a song has been made. At least 20 years. There's a song by the Luminaires. <laughs> oh, there there's you a go. song by Motley Crue. Cool. So. Um, anyways, Angela, the comic book. <laughs> 
Angela Asgard's Assassin, uh, Volume One, uh, written and performed, or actually not performed, uh, written by Karen Gillan and Marguerite Bennett, and art by Phil Jimenez and Stephanie Hans, uh, is a six-issue miniseries released in 2014, and it is about Angela, who is not initially a Marvel character. She comes from the Spawn comics written by Neil Gaiman and Todd McFarlane. Ugh, that's a whole thing. It is a whole thing. Uh, so here's the five-minute recap on that whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, originally written for Spawn issue number nine, uh, Neil Gaiman was a guest writer on that. Uh, several, And he was brought back on, I think, for a couple other issues later on. And the big deal kind of about Spawn and and um Todd McFarlane uh was that they he really wanted to push for like creator owned stuff so like anything you created was yours um, but years later and like a mini series later and i guess several crossovers with other like publishers and comic book series later um Neil Gaiman wanted the rights for Angela and was kind of conned out of them by Todd McFarlane which seems a little hypocritical but i'm not here to judge I absolutely am here to judge. Um, <laughs> so they got into a big legal battle. Uh, game ensued, and they ended up with like equal rights. And I think, uh, I think there were equal rights for like a while, and then Neil Gaiman settled. They settled some some sort of a, a agreement in which Neil Gaiman got all the rights for Angela specifically, and I think maybe a couple of the characters. I'm not 100 percent sure. I only cared about Angela during this research. So did Gaiman. Yeah, there was another. There was a character named Medieval Spawn that that was also wrapped up in this, and Medieval Spawn technically also now belongs to Neil Gaiman. Oh, cool! So, so, so Neil Gaiman later announced that he was returning to Marvel, and I think really kind of returning to mainstream comics because I think he's also been working with DC. Uh, they did like another Sandman book and and whatnot, and uh, he sold the whole the whole of the rights of Angela to Marvel. So she is now an official Marvel character. And that's the kind of quick and dirty version of that story. Uh, she was yep. initially introduced at the end of Age of Ultron. Uh, she was officially introduced as a Marvel character. Then she kind of made a couple appearances in Original Sin, in which she teamed up with the Guardians. That's a little important because in this book, they're already buddy buddies. Which leads us to yep. this book. Um, and in this book, she is kind of being reintegrated into Asgard. Uh, the big reveal in Original Sin is that Thor, I guess, uses the Watcher's eye to like gain knowledge. His Original Sin is about people stealing the Watcher's eye, which is kind of a little gross. But uh, he finds out that he has this, this sister. Uh, her name is actually Angela. Her name is... Uh, Aldrif Odin's daughter. Oh, Odin's daughter. Ah, now that I said it out loud, it makes sense. <laughs> I didn't pick up on that in my head. Now that I've said it out loud. Anyways. Oh, because he's, he's for you about Odin's son. last name too. Ah, I get it now. <laughs> oh, that's why he makes that joke about son of coal in the movies. Anyways. Wow. <laughs> We just opened, like, so many horizons for Aldo. No, only one. Um, so, 
anyway, so she's uh, so she's kind of being reintegrated back into Asgard. Uh, we get a lot of uh, we get a lot of explaining because she's an angel, and she comes from a tenth realm, like a secret tenth realm called Heaven with no A. So, so you could also even call it Heaven. I don't think you'd be wrong. Um, <laughs> but so she's from there. From the that's where the angels go. Uh, which I guess also works as an analog to like hell with one L. Yeah. <sighs> well, they just remove a letter and they think it's like fancy. That you know, they wanted to get the Marvel had to work really hard to get the rights to heaven and hell away from the Christians. <laughs> oh um, gosh. All of the Christians, yeah. So <laughs> all the they Christians. had to change it they had to change it just it's like, you know, on The Simpsons when they have Sherry Bobbins. Yeah. Yeah. She says, I'm an original creation like Ricky Rouse and Monald Muck. Uh, so, so on top of, uh, the first daughter of Odin returning to Asgard, they're also giving birth to a new child and Angela is allowed to hold it. And then she runs away with it. And then this whole book kind of becomes a chase with Thor and later Thor and Loki. And then later, uh, Loki, Thor and Hela, uh, on her, on the tail. Oh, including Heimdall. Heimdall is always there watching, always watching. Uh, so, so Angela escapes with this baby. She meets up with her friend Sarah, who has been brought back from the dead, and that's somehow. somehow that's been explained. And I'll explain it at the end. I'm gonna get a spoiler, <laughs> and <laughs> it's not a surprise. Just hang in there for two minutes. I promise. <laughs> uh, so they go. They retreat like this special armor from somebody's wedding that Heimdall can't see. Uh, so she has like this really cool bladed armor that's really so like 90 spawn extra. So it just makes sense. And it's somehow like both incredibly ridiculously impractically sexy and still more practical than the outfit she first appeared in. Yeah, which is yeah. like a really big belt. It's like a foot wide it, belt. It is. I was I'm trying to make sense. I was like, she has these ribbons. Oh, they connect to a belt. She has a belt. Boy, she's not wearing much else. What is going on here? And then yeah. she, yeah, has this like more. It, it's still a ridiculous costume, but like it's like well, at least there's like some clothing involved as opposed to like randomly floating ribbons. Like yeah. it was, you know, yeah, Dallas or something. So she meets up with the guardians. She needs our help. Uh, they they need to get they need to go to heaven uh, so they can drop the baby in a furnace. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just, you're just going to throw that right out. I'm just going to throw that out yeah, there. Yeah, so uh, there's some cute interactions. They're playing poker. Angela has a tell that isn't like it has her like ribbons or something. Uh, we also get a really interesting backstory for Sarah, which I will uh, dive into in a little bit because it's actually really important to this book and actually pop culture and Marvel. Oh, and they get attacked by like, I don't know, hell zombies or something like lady hell zombies. Uh Anyway, so <laughs> so they so they go to heaven with the guardians, and they meet up with Thor, and they're fighting over over the the baby daughter of Odin, and like a pillar is about to fall on the baby, and you would think, oh, she's just gonna kill the baby, but no, she protects it, and Thor is like, you know what, you're okay, you just want to steal the baby, I guess, and then she explains <laughs> she explains that she has to drop the baby in a furnace because the baby was conceived. Like out of Asgard, like in another plane, and like Searcher somehow got involved in in those sexy time shenanigans. So now the baby also has Searcher's flames. 
so she drops the baby in the furnace and then uh, everybody thinks oh no you've betrayed us and then she dives in after it rescues the baby burns all of her all of her skin for the second time in that story i believe is that the second time well she also burns off all her skin when she's getting that armor oh yeah 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 and she lost everything she was rebuilt the ground up stronger the armor okay. the armor being important because it hides her from heimdall because it's Heimdall's ex-fiance's armor, which I thought was a nice little backstory. Yeah, that was that was cute. Heimdall. And the that justification. Cool. Yep. Oh, and the, one of the interesting things about like the lore, I guess, about angels here, is that uh, angels. So the first interesting bit of lore is that angels don't go to heaven or they don't go to hell. When they die, they just die. Um, they go to Mew, just like the people who use the Death Note. <sighs> yes. <laughs> I don't wait. Why am I disgusted at that? I love that. Um, I love that. It was for me, although I appreciate that. Yeah, you're rubbing off on me, John. Um, Good. Good. And 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 then we find out that uh, so oh so 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 that's the thing, right? So they don't. There's no afterlife for them, which kind of makes the mystery of Sarah being back after being dead a little bit more interesting. We also find out that angels kind of deal in deals like they don't give they don't do stuff for free like you have to like if you want something from an angel you have to offer payment and and vice versa right if they want something they offer payment Uh, and we get like this cute little interaction where she's eating ice cream and some girl like kicks the ball to her and she's like can i have that and she's like nothing for nothing which is kind of like a little slogan thing um that's cute it's a little fish out of water joke I love how Sarah gives like her whole deadly backstory and stuff to this girl yeah. whose ball went too far in the park, and she's like, "Oh, I'm sorry." Yeah, I'll owe you one. It's like if you don't, oh, I'll yeah. take your ball. Oh, yeah. I was getting very, very sick of Sarah's exposition so many times. That, yeah. That's oh, recurring. Um, yeah. Yeah, so so then at the end we find out that it actually wasn't Sarah who's been accompanying her the whole time. It was actually Gasp. Uh Malekith. Malekith? Malekith. 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 Uh the Dark Elf King. King of the Dark Elves. Lord of the Dance. Um <laughs> <laughs> And and the reason he knows so much is because he also reveals that the angels at one point in history were, were cursed by Freya. That's that. That is the right name, right? It is Freya. That is the yeah. right name. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. There's a lot of names in here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they were cursed by Freya. So like when angels die, they just spend the rest of eternity in hell. And that's where Malekith, uh found Sarah, gained all this information from her, and then impersonated her. Which is why, like when she does like a test earlier on in a flashback, that's why Sarah was able to answer all those things. Sarah's backstory is also really interesting uh, because her backstory involves that Angela saved uh, like this, this family and they owed her one. And she's like, okay, well your son is going to be mine. I will come back for my, for, for your son. So they raised the son to be like the, the, the alpha malest man that ever grew up and he becomes the King. And then when she comes back, she wants to, to take Sarah and they're like, no, she has to be punished. And she's like, I'm going to remind you once. I, you owe me. 
you you literally you your your life is mine and he's like she must be made an example of she's like mm, number two and then number three and then kills him and takes takes sarah prior to that even a flashback within a flashback ah um sarah's story is actually really interesting she is marvel's first kind of like leading trans character uh her backstory is that in heaven for every 100 female angels that are born a male is born and because they're so rare they're kind of forced to stay like sheltered and and just kind of learning in this in this uh temple and when they were being attacked one one day and that's what sarah was sarah was one of the the first one of the few uh male angels what they have a name right like they have a title Oh yeah. Oh, what did they call them? Like Akiots? I got. I got to flip. Acolytes? No, That's it's it's it. something that sounds like that, but they've changed it to anchorites. Anchorites. It's a real word. That's a real thing from like Christian traditions. Yeah. So so they're so they're anchorites. Uh, so they're being attacked by by some sort of creature. Angela comes in and saves them, and that's where she meets Sarah, and Sarah tells. Angela that that's not who she is and Angela helps her uh, transition into a female angel and thus she is that Uh, she's never really dead named which I kind of appreciated and it's not really made a super big deal out of it like nobody really goes like oh my gosh what like everybody I mean everybody's seen weird crap so everybody really kind of just like oh Okay, that's why she loves you, because they love each other. Yeah. Because Angela loves this, loves, uh, loves Sarah. So like that was that was actually really interesting. She tells that she expositions yet again to the to the guardians, and the guardians are like, oh, "Okay, neat. Uh, what are we up against?" Um, and I think that really kind of goes to the credit because I was looking up who Marguerite Bennett was, and she is kind of a prominent female like feminist writer um she's done a few things for marvel this is kind of one of the big the big ones and uh i thought that bit was really well written and i was really i was particularly curious because i've i don't think we've talked about it here but with my friend uh my roommate uh we talk a lot about writers writing outside of the realm of knowledge and kind of the importance of like sensitivity readers and editors and that type of thing uh-huh. and i was like i don't know that this is necessarily kieran's kieran gillen's uh wheelhouse so when i looked it up she's one of the the co-writers on it um and she's she's a she's a very good writer um and i think this particular topic was handled uh pretty well i would agree actually um I mean, we, I don't think we really talked much on the podcast about Daniel Kibblesmith and the characters that he created for New Warriors, uh, Snowflake and Safe Space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, I don't know that there's necessarily, like, one right way to tell stories about marginalized groups, but I'm pretty sure there's a wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and the story doesn't really push any of those buttons for me. Like no alarms really went off. And so like, I quite, I liked the story. Yeah. I thought it was, yeah. I, I, I think some of the 
poetical flourishes get to me. Like, reading this book reminded me a lot of reading, like, the Dragonlance novels when I was a teenager, and how they are just full to the brim of really bad poetry. <laughs> I kind of got similar vibes from this. It's just like... Are you saying that you didn't like the song that they're talking about that will be written about them when Thor and Angela are fighting? Nope. <laughs> I thought that was real like, cheesy. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Leave the, the the songwriting to Ed Sheeran. You're here to tell, like, <laughs> comic book stories. Do that. And, I mean, but that's one of the quirks of Thor, right? Thor is, is the high fantasy of the Marvel Universe, at least until we get Conan stories on the app. But, yeah, like, that's that's kind of what you're in for when you're in for Thor and Thor-adjacent stories. And Angela's, I guess, a Thor story. Yeah. I uh, I was a little surprised. <laughs> oh, God. Dang it. Story. I was a little surprised. I mean, granted, I also don't know a whole lot about Thor lore. Not Thor lore. Uh, Spawn lore. So I don't know if this particular incarnation of heaven is based on the incarnation of heaven in Spawn with obvious creative liberties. I thought... I thought Spawn, like, Heaven and Hell were closer to, like, you know, the, the general, like, ideas of Heaven and Hell, like, angels, demons, I, that kind of thing. Like, I don't know. I know. I, I don't know what liberties uh, Spawn does or doesn't take. All I've seen from... All I know about Spawn is uh, the terrible live-action movie and the fantastic HBO animated series. <laughs> a thousand-foot-long cape. Yes. I actually really love the terrible live-action movie, but... Nobody agrees with me. Um, <laughs> I, like, that's I, fair. I was the right age when it came out to be like, this yes, is awesome. Yes. It, it wasn't. It's yeah. so bad. No, I hate that. <laughs> Anyways, uh, but yeah, after this, Angela appears in uh, the Secret Wars Battle World uh, event that happens. They She has like her own series, uh, Angela 1602, which is based off of Neil Gaiman's 1602 universe. So, you know cash in those gaming bucks <laughs> and then she has an, another story called angela queen of hell that involves her actually going into hell to rescue sarah yeah i read I th- the i read the synopsis of that it sounds pretty cool yeah so i think that's really about it uh, with with the exception of a few other minor appearances that's really it for like angela's lore and story as of i don't know july 2020 that i know of so her story is pretty condensed if you're interested in in reading most of her stuff. And I I don't know. I think there's definitely some interesting stuff. I really appreciate that Angela's sexuality or like not hers. I mean, yes, hers, but also hers as in the book. The book's ideas of like sexuality and gender and all that stuff isn't really questioned. And it's just kind of accepted kind of full hog and nobody makes a big deal out of it, even though they... Mm-hmm. The writers kind of go out of their way to explain stuff. It doesn't feel like the narrative does. Right. And I think like part of what makes this compelling, I read, oh man, I feel bad that I don't remember who said this. Uh, It was something I read on Twitter just recently, but like there is a need for stories specifically featuring LGBT characters who aren't just dealing with the problems that come with being LGBT, with having that identity, with, you know, 
we need stories that aren't just coming out narratives, that aren't just dealing with intolerant family members or intolerant religious communities or whatever. Not that those stories aren't important because those stories help teach empathy and stuff, but also, like, you need some of the aspirational stuff too, right? Yeah. And I haven't read a whole lot of, of mainstream superhero comics that deal with LGBT characters, uh, in a very real way. The the Darkhold book thing that we read as part of the Midnight Suns, apparently that main character is a lesbian. Um, and that might be the only one that we've read for the podcast, um, other than Dr. Afra. Yeah. The, the only other, like, super mainstream LGBT character that I can remember reading, that's not even a Marvel book, it was from the New 52 reboot, I believe, of DC Comics. Batwoman? No, it was actually Bunker from the Teen Titans, who was a gay Mexican mm. character. Uh, but DC also had the Apollo and Midnighter. Yeah, and uh, um, and like my problem with that woman's so good though. <laughs> my my problem with like Bunker's introduction was they very leaned, they very much leaned into his kind of coming out story, which isn't a bad thing. It just felt like that's what they were leaning on the most. Yeah. Are we going to get to a point when it kind of it, it just becomes too like I think that what they should do is like like Stephen was saying get stories about the characters that aren't centered around that aspect of their personality, that aspect of who they are because it shouldn't be like an identifier for them because it's not I, for straight I people, I right? think I think it depends on the story, right? Because because for a lot of people well, if, if you're telling like a coming out story and like and and Yeah. Empathy, well, like, sure. yeah, right? And that cuz that's a real formative event in those people's lives granted i don't think any of us here are necessarily in the lgbt spectrum so i don't i don't know that we're necessarily the people qualified to talk about this uh i'm like 95 percent straight okay <laughs> I, I mean the kinsey the kinsey scale would would also be inclined to say that nobody is 100 percent straight or gay so steven 95 percent. that's where like you're not attracted to jude law but you get it right <laughs> <laughs> this is going to get way too uh revealing for the the podcast okay so, so all right let's let's move yeah on. so anyway so what i was trying to say is like i think i think it's not that we can ignore those stories i think it's that we're going to get to a point where like that is not the only aspect to those people because because the problem is when you focus a story on that aspect that is typically from what i've seen the only aspect about that character that matters. They're not a character. They're not a full three-dimensional character. And that's the problem, yep. right? Because you can't tackle that that event because that is a very important event in a lot of people's lives, especially today. But to reduce them down to that, I think that's I, I would assume that's the that's the disservice. Yeah. Like queer experiences are not just about suffering. Yes. Is is really I think if we had to sum it up in a pithy way. Yeah. That that would be the way that I would I would do it, um, and so man, I don't know. This is I, like we don't even we're, we're focusing more on the identity aspect of the story than the story itself does, right? Yeah, yeah, we are. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Which I think I, I don't know. It's maybe a little antithetical to the point. <laughs> Maybe no, little, no, maybe uh, maybe we bring it back around. Like, hey, here's a story that has has this in it, but it also. It's it's done in a better way where it's just accepted. It's just actually yeah. To to actually kind of bring it back to what we were just saying is that's kind of the good thing about this book is that that is an aspect of this book, but it is not the book. 
Oh yeah, no, it's it's barely the book. Yeah. Maybe we'll get to the point when we see a North Star comic where he just like locks his keys in his car or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, part part of the reason why I was saying Sarah's identity is actually really important, like not just not to this book because obviously it's kind of not right. It's just treated as matter of fact, which is kind of good, I would assume. But also because Sarah is meant to star in the Loki show. That's coming oh, out on Disney Plus, really? and and they're gonna, according to what I've read in interviews, is that they're gonna keep her backstory pretty similar to where she she transitions. Huh. I didn't know that. Yeah, and so I think that's kind of at least at least for me, that's kind of why I wanted to like at least focus a little bit on that because I okay. think it's a little important to at least kind of bring that up before we move on to the story. Which, I don't know, I, I like the story. I thought the story was fun. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, I liked it. Um, I, okay, we, we talk a lot about the different creative teams on these books. And, uh, sorry, the app kicked me out. It's reloading. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, you, I was like, we either lost Steven or he's going to, like, make a huge point here. Yeah. <laughs> This isn't a huge point, but it, it's a point that I don't think we make very often. And so I wanted to, I, I noticed something really cool and I wanted to make sure that I touched on it. So the letterer on this book is Clayton Cowles. I believe VC is the name of the company. So it's VC's Clayton Cowles. And there was this really, I thought, well done page in uh, issue three or four. It's a very confusing looking uh, layout where Angela is, it's in one of the flashbacks. Angela is face to face with like one of the, the matriarchs of heaven. And it's a really fantastic layout. Uh, so, you know, props to Phil Jimenez uh, and uh, Stephanie Hans. Yeah. Uh, again, I don't actually know which book this one's in. Or which issue this is in. I just, like the, I just, I'm going to track it down because I just saw it. Yeah. So. The way that this is laid out is there's a circle in the middle that is a close-up on Angela's face. And there are four sort of panels going out from it in an X. And the it's kind of difficult to read because you read it from the top panel to the right panel, then to the left panel, and then to the bottom panel. And that flow is kind of confusing, but the lettering does a fantastic job. Just the placement of the word balloons does a fantastic job of guiding your eye through the panel. So I was able to read this and didn't even really notice that it was kind of a, a, a kind of a funky layout until I got to the end and looked back and went, "Huh, that was interesting." It's uh, page seventeen in the app, uh, issue two. Actually. Issue two. Okay, it's earlier than I thought it was. Yeah, because uh, they revisit some of these same characters, I think, later, and yeah. You know, oh yeah. Or go back yeah. to heaven, and it's yeah. There's more heaven stuff in those other issues, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought that was a phenomenal job of lettering, uh, letting the letters tell the story, and I wanted to call that out because we don't really say a whole lot about the letterers. On no, this. we don't. But Clayton Cowles did a good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, so and one of the other things I want to say is I know it wasn't these this team. Uh, it was somebody on Age of Ultron. I don't know who, who it was that redesigned Angela for Marvel. 
and I know we already made fun of like her big her big belt dress and the fact that she's not wearing much at all. Yep. But there's something about like the I don't know the juxtaposition of a lot of straight lines that I actually find her design like really like appealing. Past like the whole bikini warrior, which actually Raccoon <laughs> Rocket Raccoon calls him calls him that. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, yep. <laughs> calls him bikini warriors. But there's something I don't I don't know what it is about Angela's design that ever since they sh- they revealed it for the Marvel reintroduction, like I I don't know what it is. It just kind of draws me to it. I don't know if it's like the big stupid wings on her helmet thing, <laughs> or like the fact that she just always has ribbons around her, and like you have like these really flowy looking ribbons, but a lot of straight lines on her armor. What is there to kind of juxtapose that? I don't know. Her design just seems interesting to me. I don't know why. I can't pin it down. Yeah. Um, I don't love Angela's design, personally. That's fair. That's absolutely fair. <laughs> no, like, I have more... We have a lot more to say about this book, I think, than we did Dr. Afra, Which is funny, because I think they're actually really comparable in quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same writer. T- uh, uh, we already same writer. Uh, like, yeah. I, I think they're both fine books. I don't love Angela's design, and I don't love Angela's, like, rigidity. I don't know if that's the word I want, but it's the one that's coming to mind. Like, the whole deal-making thing. Like, nothing for nothing. Uh, it's... And I don't know. This is this is probably just an example of Angela being a character who's maybe not for me. But, like, that whole deal-making aspect is not, like... It's not really an admirable quality, and it's not something that makes me want to look up to her or emulate her and I do tend to come to superhero stories for that aspirational element and Angela doesn't have that and that doesn't mean Angela is a bad character or a bad story yeah it, it just means that maybe it's not 100% for me I think I th- I'd like to think granted this is the only Angela stuff I've, I've read I'd like to think that that is an aspect of her that goes away I think there's slight hints of it what with her like like part of the whole thing about her throwing the baby in the in the heaven furnace is that she <laughs> be, the furnace like doesn't burn up the baby immediately like it burnt it takes all of like Sir's flames or most of them anyways because you know cliffhanger I guess he's whatever uh so it takes all the flames from the baby and it powers heaven again. So when she returns to Asgard with the baby, she explains that because she's given them like essentially a new lease on life, she is free from her debt to heaven. So I'd like to think that that means that she'll be getting away from that. Like, and like I said, I think there's some smaller hints about it. Like, you know, when she gives the ball to the girl, she's like nothing for nothing. Um, But also the fact that she never really repaid Sarah for the flute I think it's I understand yeah. what you guys are saying. I think it's something my problem is that we get a lot of tell and not enough show because it's so much of of Sarah being like let me tell you about Angela. And it's like can't we just like have her do things and learn about the character that way? But yeah. we I think it is narratively interesting to have a character with this kind of like limitation. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. Like, it's not really a flaw, but it's a limitation. So that's something that, that when she butts up against other characters, 
you know, where she's fighting Thor and Loki and the Warriors Three and Sif and like and and all of Asgardian. You know, oh, it's it's something that it's gonna put her at, at odds against these characters that we know because she is different from them, and she doesn't quite you know fit with them. And so, where there's conflict, there's an interesting story, and mm-hmm. a, um, you know, a good way to tackle the character and and um, you know bring something new. Yeah, I, I I'm not I'm not saying I agree with Steven. Cause like, Not yeah. There. Cause like you, I actually, I actually like that aspect. I think it makes her a little bit more interesting. I, I think in a narrative sense, it makes her stand out from, from a lot of these heroes who just kind of do whatever they want. Which, mm-hmm. you know, maybe somebody should like regulate them, and put them on some sort of like list, like a superhuman. Oh goodness! Oh goodness! Registration. Oh goodness. Oh, <laughs> right. Nope. Aldo. Nope. I'm showing a yellow meta card. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> because we record this, but yeah. Anyways, um, <laughs> that's one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, but but yeah. So I, so I think that makes her you know an interesting character. If anything, because she, it makes her a different character. So like you, I like that. Um, and and I think there's some fun stuff that you can do do with that. And I think in this book we saw it when Sarah is trading for like what is it, the Eye of Toad and Leg of Newt or whatever from the from that merchant. And she's like offering him the horse, like the horse chair, the fire horse, whatever. I can't remember the specifics. Yeah. And it's just like, he's like, it's not a fair deal. And she's like, just take it. <laughs> Don't you understand capitalism? Exploit me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that line was so good. Yeah. I forgot about that line. Yeah. yeah. So so I think there's like some good stuff you can do with it. I think because Angela is is so much on a on a specific journey, mission in in this story we don't really get a lot of time to see her hang about. So I don't think we really get to explore that with her specifically, but also I think that also goes to kind of the, be- I don't know if it's the benefit, but it kind of goes to like the benefit of her character who is maybe one. Of the- and I think they said that she's like the most, or like the strongest or the best angel. So it might just be like a hard habit that she just kind of keeps for a while, but also I don't know. I never really heard about angels throwing babies in furnaces, so I don't. <laughs> Gosh, you guys ever? You guys know Homestar Runner, right? Yes. Hey, Back in the day, the the Peasant Quest video game, they 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 created this old King's Quest style point and click adventure game called Peasant's Quest, and one of the puzzles these these games, especially the King's Quest series, were like super famous for having just weird, obtuse puzzles. I grew up playing King's Quest V, and in order to beat that game, you have to buy a, I think it's a lemon meringue pie from a baker and throw it in the face of a Yeti. Man, that sounds like a quality game. Seriously. So in Peasant Quest, the the parody that they created for the Homestar Runner website, uh, your character, one of the puzzles is you have to throw a baby in a lake. (laughs) <laughs> and it's it's one of those old games where you have to like or it's styled after the old games where you actually have to type in the command <laughs> so you have to throw baby and you throw the baby in the lake and then the lady the, the baby like crawls out of the lake with a key in its hand or something like oh that. that's beautiful oh gosh that's it's dumb. so wild uh, yeah uh yeah so every time you say throw baby that's what i'm thinking of it's just throw <laughs> baby yeah. off into the water it goes i also i <laughs> Listen, it's not an important detail by any stretch of the imagination. 
but I love that they actually straight up chuck that baby in there. Like, it's not like we're gently going to lower this baby into the furnace and then pull it out once the furnace has pulled all the evil fire from it. No, Angela's like, Chuck. <laughs> yeah. Angela's like, baby has to go in furnace. I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah. Skyhook. Uh, yeah. I thought, Steven, you were bringing up Homestar Runner and it was like the text-based game they had at one point. Oh, yeah, you I cannot beat, get ye flask. Yeah, yeah, go to Dennis. I beat that game. It's beatable. It can be done. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I got ye flask. Anyway, yeah, Angela, I think there's something there. Here we get, you know, a specific kind of moment and, and everything. Um, I, I liked her. Um, she was like, the first time I read her, she was with the Guardians of the Galaxy. An original she sin? Was like, I'm sorry? No, before was, that even. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah, it was like she they encountered her. She was like a thing in space, and like she was just like they were like, "What the heck?" And uh, you know, because she was super tough, like they fought her and then teamed up, like like you do. And <laughs> um, that was my introduction. Was you know her trying to figure out what she was doing there, how she got there, and then they figure out like, "Oh, you're from you're from heaven. Where's that?" And oh, you have some kind of Asgardian connection. Holy crap! And then between that and here we had all this, was, all this stuff was that the guardians run where they did the, the trial of gene gray i think it was before that time but like roughly around there it okay. was like right when the movie was coming out i think a couple of trades after the movie came out when they had kind of not like rebooted the series but like there was a bit of a redesign i don't know i liked yeah. i liked star lord's costume in the uh the comics at that time better than the one they used in the movie even though the yeah. one they used in the movie was from an older comic but I he had a cool blue and yellow helmet it was really cool <laughs> anyways uh i don't know do we have anything else to say about about the book i don't think so like, like this is kind of like the other one i think it's i think it's got a few more flaws in it that make it worth talking about mm-hmm. But it also has, again, all of the representation stuff that we already covered pretty well. Um, I I liked it. Yeah. yeah. I like... I, I, I'm finding the more Thor and Thor-adjacent stuff that we read, I think I really, really like this corner of the Marvel Universe in a way. Like, the more I read of Thor, the more I like yeah. Thor. And the more I read of the weird Asgard stuff, even though it's such a bizarre fit with the rest of the Marvel Universe, I think it works. And even though Angela herself is such a bizarre fit with the Thor stuff, because, you know, Thor's already, like, a very... Uh, faithful is not the word that I want, because it's definitely not a faithful uh, adaptation of Norse mythology, but it draws so much inspiration from that. And then you throw on this other character who's coming from the Judeo-Christian uh, religious tradition uh, and gets kind of stapled on, oh, there's a tenth realm. Like, it's it feels like it shouldn't work. It kind of does. Yeah. Yeah, when they introduced the fact that there's like a secret tenth realm, I was like, hmm, <laughs> you've, you've been really good at keeping that tenth realm a secret for the last, uh, I don't know, 70 years of comics. Yep. <laughs> It's almost as if this is being, t- uh, you know, stapled on. <laughs> um, I think I the all of the flashbacks and stuff like that were well done, except the way they were dropped into the, you know, the present. Um, in most cases, was kind of like, oh, geez, we're getting like an exposition dump. So, like, it just kind of, like, it just kind of halts the story. 
Yeah, I was like, I like the flashbacks, I like what story's going on, but the way you've put them together, it's it's bacon on donuts. It's two two good things that 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 nature should not allow to be mixed together like that. Yeah, <laughs> I I think one of the things I like about Marvel comics. I'll probably I don't know that I like it more than I do like independent comics and, and whatever, but I love the fact that you can have weird interactions between characters from different sections. So and I'm and I'm happy we got a taste of that here where you really have like the, the Guardians, which are an outer space book, kind of dealing with this high fantasy, you know, Norse mythology gods and and that type of thing happening. And I, I don't know. I don't know. Just to say that I kind of like that we have that, you know, small just a position here. I yeah. I don't know that that's necessarily to the benefit of this, of like Angela's book, but I think that's just the thing I like in general. And I'm happy to have seen it here. Because I actually, yeah. I don't know, sometimes depend. it really depends on the book, right? Because like some books, when they start shoehorning in other corners of the Marvel Universe, you're just like, all right, can we just focus on the story? But I think, again, like this book, which is a very focused book in a sense, like Angela herself is very focused on this very specific mission. It is kind of nice to have a little bit of a of a break. And what, what better way to take a break than by playing poker with the Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah. Yeah, it's better than it's better than ice cream in Central Park. Yeah, I also love that that Drax was uh, particularly angry when they got attacked because he had a really good hand. <laughs> I love that like attitude of the Guardians, you know, where it's like this is a life and death fight, but let's really talk about the poker that yeah. we're playing. You know, like they're just always down to fight to the point where it's not even, you know, what they're focused on in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, longer conversation about Drax and his personality for a different day. Um, anything else we want to say? No, it's great. No, no, yeah. I think it's ranking time. It's ranking time. Put these books up on a list and close the door. <laughs> you know that song uh, is about having a baby? <laughs> no, John, I didn't know that. Oh, well, listen to it again next time and learn something. Are you sure it's not just about closing up a bar, kicking people it's out? It's also about that. Okay. You'll see next time, <laughs> next time we meet, you'll go, John, you were right about that. I re-listened to the lyrics, and I listened to the live recording of the guy explaining it and singing it line by line, and it totally changed the whole meaning. It also works to kick people out of a bar. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you activated my trap card, Death of the Author. <laughs> How do you explain the... One last call for alcohol, so finish your whiskey or beer. It also is about closing a bar. It's both. <laughs> I'm gonna, you know what? You know what? Hold on. No, we're doing this now. No, 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 we're not. There we are. <laughs> no, we're not. Oh no. What have we done? We didn't close the bar soon enough, Steven. You po- you poked the bear. The semi song that's a good album that didn't get enough love because of that one song got overplayed to death. Dan Wilson on the double meaning of Semisonic's closing time. He says, uh, the song turned out to be a breakthrough. Song is going to be huge. John was right. Where is that? 
Wilson revealed that the song also has a meaning that runs a bit deeper. It's partially inspired by the birth of his daughter, Coco. The guys wanted a new song to close our sets with, Wilson says. I thought Closing Time would be a good title. We'd spent seven years of our lives at that point, four nights a week entertaining people. That was our life. Some bouncers yelling things, Closing Time coming, all that imagery. Literally, that's how the song started. And then when I was halfway done, I started realizing the whole thing was a pun about being born. So I just made sure that the rest of the thing could ride with that double meaning. But nobody got the joke, and I didn't bother to explain. I just thought everyone would get it. But apparently, you, you don't give dumb babies dumbs. alcohol. <laughs> you it's don't not do it. <laughs> that goes from semi-sonic to fully sonic. That's just not done. <laughs> I think I am. I am sending you this link. And the next time I see, the next time I see you. You know what? Look, I'll read your article, but I, the guy is wrong it's about not, his own song. No, okay? he's not. You are not understanding or listening. And if I had, if we, I, if I just. All right, join us next time on the Closing Time podcast, where John uh, gives his dissertation. Oh, I also sent song. you a Patrick Williams YouTube video about the music <laughs> biopics and how they're dumb. But, oh, it's but, great. It is that's great. That's a good one. I've yeah. seen that. Yes. But the link after that, that's the one I'm ta- <laughs> I am right. And um, this, I, shut up. He's right. He's vindicated. So, Steven, so number one on our list is Ms. Marvel, No Normal. Number 103 is Spider-Man, The Evil That Men Do. Okay, so I guess this story, the, the Dr. Afra story, is called Book One. So where do we rank book one, Dr. Afra? I I would put it at 19. I really liked it. I know that I'm going to be voted down, but that's how I feel. I mean, yes, you are going to get voted down, but like... <laughs> how much are you going to get voted down is the I don't question. know. Like, this is probably the... I think this is the best Star Wars comic we've read so far. And none yeah. of the Star Wars comics have gotten super high yet. Yeah. Uh, so it definitely, like... It's, it goes up there. I just don't know where exactly. Because top ten, like, it's, you know, it's benchmark books, it's classic stories, it's it's great example. Like, Ms. Marvel is still a number one um, and has been at number one, like, what, forever? Pretty much. Yeah, like, started at number one, has not been dethroned um, because of its importance, and it's very good on its own, but... Um, so I understand that, you know, Dr. Afra is not top 10. And Aldo did point out that it is just very familiar and nothing too surprising. I get it, but I just really like it. So I, I, I would put it, I can't, I haven't decided, but I would put it maybe above or below Forever. Wow, Forever's be it's turning into kind of a benchmark spot. It's kind of where we were last week, yeah. Yeah, I think this is the right area for it. Um, and I would put it above forever. Do I like it better than Shuri or not? I don't think I do. So yeah, I actually think I agree with Aldo, like, right off. So I would put it at 33 as well. Um, but, I mean, that's the difference of, like, what, seven books? It's, it's a really solid part of the list. Yep. Okay, so is, that, is that it? Okay. Yeah, I think that's that it. That was a quick discussion. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we're having real quick discussions <laughs> recently. Uh, so that goes on the list between the the first bit of the Shuri series and the Fantastic Four reunion story forever. Uh, okay, so 
Angela, Asgard's assassin. Which, okay, I guess there's one other thing to say about this book. Title is dumb. Yeah, she doesn't really... <laughs> Yeah. She doesn't work for Asgard. And she also isn't really an assassin. I mean, she's not really assassin assassining Asgard either. Yeah. She's really guarding their Asgard. Boo! By preventing yeah, a calamity. I see, what, I see what you did there, Aldo. That Thanks. was good. Thanks. That was real good. No, what? This was, that was bad. John, John gets <laughs> me. John sees me. Yeah, I got oh. your back. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Uh, so Angela's Guardian Assassin. This is a really hard title to goof on. It's a triple A title, Stephen. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> uh, all right, I'm back, baby. I'm back. He's back. <laughs> this book is. I don't think this book goes up quite as high as Doctor Afra does. Really? I don't. I. I I don't know. I I think personally the the poetry bits, the exposition gets a bit much. Like those bits, I glossed over, and so it to me that drags the story down a little bit. Probably not by much. Just immediately, like I kind of want to put this somewhere in the range of. 38, 39, 40. I'm not sure exactly where. I do think I like Thunder in her veins a little better. And I was going to say, I like Thunder in her veins better. I don't remember Gwenpool, which is number 39 currently. So I would think that it replaces 39. Yeah. I, like, I definitely like it more than Purple Daughter. Yeah, I'm a little bit in the minority because I actually like it a little bit more than Thunder in her veins. You're also a little bit in the minority because you're the minority. hey <laughs> Uh... <laughs> Although I'd like to apologize for my. <laughs> What's the opposite of woke? Sleeping? My sleep. My slept friend. <laughs> my slept friend, Steven. I think I'm like, I'm like w- w- so white to the point where in my, my attempts to not be racist and, and, and uninformed and sensitive that I become racist, uninformed and insensitive. So I'm just going to be real quiet. I'm just going to say I am comfortable putting it at number 39, which is right below Thunder in her veins. <laughs> I, I, yeah, um, I am fine with that, too. That's where I suggested it go. <laughs> yes. And that does it for this week. That's a, I mean, quick little discussion, but these were good books. Yeah, um, I like when uh, it's not uh, painful to read our, uh, our um, you know... Weekly reading, because whoo. Well, uh, then you're going to have a hard time for this next one. I know. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been... Threatening is such a harsh word. But not inaccurate. (laughs) I can't think of a more appropriate word. Uh, I've been threatening to, to have the podcast read this book pretty much from the beginning. And it's the time has come. We're going to read Earth X. Yay. Uh, yeah, okay, I was, so I shouldn't I shouldn't be so like down on it because I've always wanted to read Earth X. I've just never had a reason to read it. Yeah. We had the the trade paperback of it when I was growing up in my teenage years and I spent a lot of time reading it uh just over and over and over again. It's Honestly, Earth-X is probably at least partially responsible 
for how much breadth of knowledge of the Marvel Universe I have. It's between EarthX and the trading cards, basically. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, we're going we're gonna to circle around to trading cards at some point in this. Were there so. EarthX trading cards? I, I mean, probably. I didn't have them. So I've always been interested in reading it because when I was working at the comic book store, uh, the essentially, but not totally, currently deceased Nightflight Comics, <laughs> my, my co-worker, who, who's a, still a very good friend of mine, um, but... Uh, he collects a lot of figures, a lot of statues, and he had, I, I believe it was like the full collection of like Earth X busts and the designs and the character changes fascinated me. So I've always, like that's part of the reason why I've always had an interest. Yeah. yeah. If, if you're the type of person who's interested in alternate universe tellings of famous pop culture properties, th- then... Hello, Earth X, 100% for you. The The main claim to fame for Earth X is that it all of the character designs, and I believe the story itself, that's all based on notes and designs by Alex Ross. Yeah. Ross did not write it, though. It was written by uh, Jim Kruger, and the art was done by Jean-Paul Leon. He did the cover art, though, didn't he? I think he did the cover art, yes. Um... But, like, the other creators are not individuals that I'm super familiar with. So, anyway, it'll be interesting to revisit this as an adult. Y'all know how it is with, with the stuff that you came to when you're a kid. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And for me, like, I am illogically attached to a lot of that stuff. I don't know how well this is going to hold up, though. So it'll be really interesting to read. Yeah, I know there's, like, some interesting changes. And I think this is the first example of, like, a prominent actual like female thor and i know that the uh that the hulk bruce banner thing is like they're separate they're separate like bruce banner is actually like a little kid who has a big hulk buddy oh and he's a baby and he wears diapers oh remember that i don't that wasn't in the bust because that was from the chest up (laughs) (laughs) yay talking about hulk at some point we should read old man logan we should read a lot of things. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like I don't want to read Old Man Logan because I saw the movie Logan and I'm, and I'm happy with that. Oh, then you're fine because it's nothing like it. <laughs> <laughs> Blind Hawkeye? Don't you want that in your life? Blind Hawkeye? I, what? All Blind, Hawkeye. Blind Hawkeye. All, all Hawkeye. I thought he was deaf. Is this a Blind Hawkeye as well? This is a Blind Hawkeye. All Hawkeye forever and always, yes. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, so we're going to be reading Earth-X. That's the only book we're reading, right? Yeah, that's a that's going to be a, a chore and a half on its own. It's going to be kind of a mess. It's 12 issues, right? It's 14 issues. Steven, you lied to me. <laughs> I know. You, <laughs> I'll it. send you the screenshot of the chat where I said 14 issues, 12 of them are normal length, 2 of them are Oh, longer. that's why I was confused because you said 12 of them and I hung on to 12. Also, I just looked up Mark Millar <laughs> and can see that he's a uh, he supported Brexit. Yeah. Mark Millar is a bit of a controversial person. Also, also, so I don't know if you guys know this much about comic book collecting, but there's special types of uh, plastic covers you can get for your comics called mylars and they're oh, yeah. and they're really good against uh, like against protecting against uv rays so it protects your comics against uh, coloration stuff 
I always thought it was a missed opportunity that he never invested in that and had his own company called Miller's Mylar's. You lost it again, Aldo. <laughs> you were back and now you're gone again. Should I'm I be just... running a food a food a food truck, Aldo, that serves chowder? Is that what is that what you're getting at? No. We should be pigeonholed into things that rhyme with our last name. <laughs> oh, I see. I'm it. struggling I see. so I got hard it. I got to come it. up with something that rhymes with Bradford and Gomez, and it's really hard, guys. <laughs> I'm just saying, none of you guys were my boss or my coworkers, so you didn't have to hear that joke like at least once a week for a year no. and a half. <laughs> Aldo could work for a construction company, Gomez Homes. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanna I just wanna start up like a little knickknack shop and just call it all those small things. <laughs>